Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. Please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us and Lord, that you have a plan for us. Lord, that you want to invite us into relationship with you. And that means also being invited into your work. Following you means to have our hearts shaped and become more like you. And so we ask that during this time, as we study your word, you would shape our hearts and minds. Lord, you stir us up and that you would encourage us, challenge us where we need that. Lord, we ask that you'd speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, my wife, Rosemary, grew up in San Diego, and we, all, we have a lot of friends and family who live uh, in Southern California. And the thing about Southern California is that they just have amazing weather, right? Like um, San Diego, I would say, probably has the best weather in the world. Like, for example, today, I looked at the app on my phone. Today here in Longmont, the high is 42 degrees Fahrenheit. It's cloudy. Uh, so 42 and cloudy is, is what we're dealing with here in Longmont. Well, in San Diego today, it is 70 degrees and sunny. Uh, yesterday in San Diego, it was 70 degrees and sunny. Tomorrow uh, in San Diego, it's going to be 70 degrees and sunny. Later on this week, it does change a bit. Uh, on Friday, it's going to be 71 degrees and sunny. And it's kind of like that all the time, right? It's just always, you know, never gets much hotter than that. It doesn't get much colder than that either. Um, and yet, you know what's funny? My friends who live in Southern California often complain to me about the weather in Southern California, right? Now, they don't complain that the weather's bad, right? They're very much aware that the weather there is, is great. What they complain about is not that the weather's bad. What they complain about is that the weather never changes, right? So there's, a, there's no variety, that's what they don't have. You know, I meet people out there and they're like, oh man, you live in Colorado. That must be amazing. I wish I lived in a place that had four seasons. And I'm like, no, you don't, right? Like, uh, and they're like, oh, I'm so jealous, right? You get fall. I have to drive four hours to experience fall, right? Well, it's, it's funny because they have the best weather in the world and yet they're jealous of people who live in other places because what they don't have is variety. And one of my friends, he described it like this. He said, you know, it's kind of like a single note on a piano. Even if it's the best note on the entire piano, uh, after a while, if you just keep pushing that one note like over and over and over and over again for every day of your life, it just starts to kind of drive you crazy, right? Even the best weather in the world is, is not good if, that's, if you never have any variety, if you never get anything else. Now, the church in Corinth was kind of like that, and here's why. In 1 Corinthians, right, what we have here before us is a letter which Paul the Apostle wrote to the Christians in the city, the Greek city of Corinth. And in his introduction to this letter in chapter 1, he had commended them or complimented the Corinthian Christians on the fact that they abounded in spiritual gifts. And yet, what we're going to see in these next few chapters, in chapter 12, 13, and 14, is that although people in the Corinthian church had spiritual gifts, only a few people were using their spiritual gifts. And for some of them, the fact that they had certain gifts became a source of pride, and it filled them with a sense of arrogance and superiority over others who didn't have the gifts that they had. 
But what we're going to see here in these chapters, in this section, is that every Christian is gifted by God, and what is needed, therefore, is for every member to contribute to the work of God. It's an every member mission, and every member matters. Right? Think about it like on a football team. The quarterback touches the ball on every single play, and yet, no matter how good the quarterback is, if the other players don't do their part, then the team will lose. Every position is needed. Every position matters. In a building like this one, there are parts of the building that you can't see. And there are other parts that you can see. But the part, there are parts that you can't see, and yet if they're not there, and they're not doing their job, then the building will collapse. And in the same way for us as disciples of Jesus, on the one hand, God is calling you into a personal relationship with him. And yet, to be a Christian is not only a personal thing that's just between you and God. To be a Christian is to become part of a family, part of the body, to become a member of a group of people that is bigger than just you, right? It's to become part of the people of God, the people who are being redeemed by Jesus. And we've been given a calling from God to do his work in the world. And in order for that to happen, each of us has a role to play. Now, those roles are going to be different, some will be highly visible. Others might be behind the scenes. But every member matters, and all are called to contribute. You know, like my friends in Southern California would tell you about the weather. Even the best weather, without any variety, is like a single note on a piano. It might be a great note, but in order to make beautiful music, you need more than one note. And that's true for us as well as Christians, as disciples of Jesus in the body of Christ. And so the title of today's message is Using Your Spiritual Gifts to Serve Others. Using Your Spiritual Gifts to Serve Others. And here's what we're going to see in this section, kind of our thesis statement, our takeaway truth, our one-sentence summary. This will be the sentence I'd love for you to write down in your notes and take away with you as you go today so you can remember this thought, which is the summary of what we're going to talk about today. And also, this will function as our outline line for studying this passage. You guys ready? Write it down, take a photo, whatever you got to do. Here it is. The way we serve God and others is by using the gifts God gives us to fulfill the higher calling he has given us in Christ. So let's say it again. The way we serve God and others is by using the gifts God gives us to fulfill the higher calling he has given us in Christ. So let's look at the first part of that sentence as we begin this study. The way we serve God and others. Paul begins this chapter by saying this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And so to that end, Paul is going to instruct us now in chapters 12, 13, and 14 about the value and the use of of spiritual gifts. Here's what he says, starting in verse 2. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. It seems that in the Corinthian church, on the one hand, some people had a lack of understanding about the spiritual gifts, what they are and how they work. But on the other hand, there were also people who were apprehensive about opening themselves up to the gifts 
of the Holy Spirit. With their background in paganism, some of the Christians in Corinth were afraid that maybe if they opened themselves up to the Holy Spirit, who knows what might happen, right? They might, they might have, lose control of themselves or end up in like some kind of trance where they don't have control. And then they might do terrible things uh, under the control of the Holy Spirit. They might even curse Jesus. And Paul says, no, no, no. That's not how this works at all, right? The Holy Spirit is God. So the Holy Spirit will never lead you to curse Jesus. Rather, the work of the Holy Spirit will always be to lead you to Jesus and to glorify Jesus. Now, I would say that these two areas where the Corinthian Christians struggled in regard to spiritual gifts, they are the same areas where many people today struggle in regard to spiritual gifts. On the one hand, some people lack understanding when it comes to these things. And on the other hand, some people are apprehensive when it comes to this topic. And so Paul is going to show us how God's design for these things is exceedingly good and beautiful when it's put into practice in the right way. He goes on to say this, verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Something we've seen throughout this letter is that the Corinthian church was plagued by divisions. And the reason, a big reason for that is because there was a real spirit of competition and a spirit of rivalry amongst the Christians there in Corinth. Many of them wanted to prove that they were more spiritual than others, right? They wanted to one-up each other and prove that they were more spiritual than others. And so when it came to spiritual gifts, this was something they did even in regard to spiritual gifts, right? They, they considered certain gifts to be better or more valuable or greater than other gifts, right? Those especially which were prominent and more visible. And they would act as if those who had those gifts, right, were superior to others, right? As if they were creating classes of people, right? They were the gifted ones and other people were not, uh, and some of them were even using, as we're going to see, they were using their spiritual gifts to kind of show off, right? To draw attention to themselves. Particularly in chapters 13 and 14, it becomes clear that people who had the gift of speaking in tongues, which we're going to talk about more in just a minute, but some people had this gift of speaking in tongues. They would stand up in the middle of the church service and interrupt what was going on and start speaking out loud in tongues as a way to kind of show off and, and try to impress others with this spiritual gift that they had. But what Paul wants us to know is that there's a wide variety of gifts, and God gives these different gifts, not ever for self-aggrandizing purposes, but always for the common good, to serve God and to serve others. I like to put it this way. It's kind of like the steam in a steam engine. Right? The purpose of the steam in the steam engine is not to toot the horn. The purpose of the steam in the steam engine is to move the train down the tracks to its destination. But see, here's the deal. In Corinth, many of the people were using their spiritual gifts to toot their own horn rather than to move forward the mission of God. In other words, here's what you need to know. Having a spiritual gift, no matter what that gift is, is not the mark of spiritual maturity. Having a spiritual gift is not the sign of spiritual maturity. The mark of being spiritually mature is what you do with the gifts God has given you. Notice what Paul says in verse 7. He says, to each one 
is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, that answers one question for us, right? The question is, who has spiritual gifts? And Paul makes it clear. Each one. Every Christian has some kind of spiritual gifting. If you are a Christian, God has given you or will give you a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for you to use to benefit others. In other words, there is no believer... There's no disciple of Jesus who does not have a role to play and a function to perform in God's work and in the church. But here's what's really interesting. And I think this is really important for you to understand. So hang with me and let me explain this to you. In verses 4 through 6, Paul points us to the Trinity as the basis for understanding the differences in gifts and callings and ministries within the church. Notice this. He's going to point to the Trinity to help us understand how gifts and callings and ministries work in the church, especially the difference in gifts. Notice in verse 4, he says, there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Then he says in verse 5, there's varieties of service, but the same Lord. That's a reference to Jesus. And then in verse 6, he says there are varieties of activities, but the same God. So here we have the Spirit mentioned. We have the Son mentioned. We have the Father mentioned in these three verses explaining the variety of spiritual gifts. Now here's why this is important. And we talked about this a little bit last week about this Trinitarian understanding of who God is and how that helps us understand. Last week we talked about how it helps us understand marriage. But today it helps us understand how it works as we function in the church as the body of Christ, as the people of God. And here's how, right? This, the doctrine of the Trinity, as we're taught in the Bible, is this. There is one God who eternally exists in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They are all equally God, and yet they are distinct and unique, right? So the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son, nor the Father, and in the Trinity, the three persons, even though they are all equally God, they have different roles that they play in God's work in the world. So, for example, we're told that the Father sent the Son into the world on a mission to save us through his actions. The Son submitted to the Father and obeyed the Father. And together, the Father and the Son then sent the Spirit for example, the, the Father adopts us. The Son intercedes for us and advocates for us. The Spirit indwells us and seals us and empowers us and works in us to transform us. The Spirit glorifies the Son. The Son glorifies the Father. The Father exalts the Son. You see, in other words, the very nature of God as three co-equal persons who have different roles and yet they are united as one God. That, Paul tells us, is the foundation for understanding the diversity of gifts and callings and ministries amongst us as believers in the church. Think about it like this. Just as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are equal and united, but they have different roles, and they carry out those roles without any sense of jealousy or rivalry, but seeking to honor one another and exalt each other. In the same way, we as Christians, as, as children of God, are equal, and we are united, and we are to embrace our various roles and gifts and callings without jealousy or rivalry or resentment, but as ways that we can serve 
God and serve each other. So Paul wants us to understand that not everybody has the same gift, and this is by design. This diversity is given by God, and it's good. And that brings us to the second part of our sentence that we've been looking at. The way we serve God and others is by using the gifts God gives us. So now in verses 8 through 10, Paul gives us a list of nine spiritual gifts. And then if you go down to verse 28 in the same chapter, Paul gives us two more in this list. Now, I'll say this. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list of every spiritual gift that exists out there. And we know that because there are other passages in the Bible, in the New Testament, where we are told about other gifts. So, for example, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4 all talk about spiritual gifts. It says in verse 8, as we get into looking at what these gifts are that are listed, for to one is given through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. So the first one that's mentioned here, and we're just going to go through these one by one. The first one that's mentioned is the word of wisdom or the utterance of wisdom. Now, what is this? It is a special endowment of wisdom from God for a particular moment or situation or problem, right? So this is beyond the general wisdom that God gives people. This is wisdom that is needed in a moment, and it's a special endowment of God for that wisdom. So you, you might find yourself sometimes in a position where you say, I don't know what to do. I need wisdom or what to do in this situation. Or maybe other people ask you for advice about what they should do, and you need wisdom from God. That's what this gift is for, a special endowment of wisdom for a particular situation. The next one we have, the word of knowledge or utterance of knowledge. Now, this is the ability to know something that you couldn't have possibly known except the Holy Spirit revealed it to you. An example of this is found in Acts chapter 5, where people come to the apostles and, and they say, hey, we sold this land and here's all the money. And the apostles look at them and say, you're lying. Well, how could they have known that? The Holy Spirit revealed it to them. It was a word of knowledge. And sometimes there are times when you need that gift of the Holy Spirit in the situation you're facing. Well, in verse 9, going on, the first gift that's mentioned there in verse 9 is the gift of faith. Now, this is a gift of faith. It's a God-given ability to trust God beyond just general faith in Jesus. This is trusting God in situations where you need to take a big step of faith. It's an extra measure of faith for those situations when you need it. I like this definition of faith. Faith means trusting God enough to do what he says. That's what faith is, trusting God enough to do what he says. And the gift of faith, it's an extra measure of faith that God gives you in a particular situation where you need more faith than you normally possess. The next gift in this list is the gift of healing, or it's called gifts of healing. Now, this is the ability to see people healed by God as you pray for them. And this is similar to the next gift, which is mentioned in verse 10, the first one in verse 10, which is the working of miracles. Now, you know, something that people often ask is this. They'll say, hey, if there are people out there who have the gift of healing or they have the gift of working miracles, then why don't they just do us all a favor and go down to the hospital and kind of clean out the ER, just get them all out of there, heal everybody. Like, why don't we just employ these people to work on, like, ambulances or something, right? If you have a gift of healing, why don't you go heal some people? If you have the gift of working miracles, then why don't you go fix some stuff? 
I mean, somebody who has the gift of teaching, they can just teach whenever they want. Somebody who has the gift of administration, they can administer at will whenever they want to administer. So why can't someone who has the gift of healing just go and heal anybody anytime? Why, why can't somebody who has the gift of working miracles go and, and just work miracles whenever they want? The reason is actually found in the text. I'm going to show you. And here's, here's what it comes down to, that some of these gifts are given occasionally, whereas others are given in a way that is more permanent and constant. Come back with me to verses 4 through 6. Verses 4 through 6 are really important in this chapter. And, and here's why. In this section, Paul actually breaks down the gifts into two categories of gifts. Uh, here's what he says in verse 4. He says, there are varieties of gifts. And then he says in verse 5, there are varieties of service. And then he says there are varieties of activities. So all of these are gifts, but some of the gifts fall into the categories of service, and some fall into the category of activities. So everything is a gift in this list, but some gifts are related to services, right? Services speaks of standing offices or positions in the church, right? So you have teachers in the church, and there's a gift that corresponds to that, that office, that service, and so they need the gift of teaching in order to carry out that service or ministry. Whereas other gifts, Paul calls them activities. Now that word that's used there is actually the word energamata, which, which is the word from which we get like the word energy. It has that idea, but it's used elsewhere in the Bible to speak of God's special miraculous working special miraculous power by which God does miraculous events. And so what that refers to, he says that some gifts are, you know, constant, but others are related to activities, which means they are occasional. They're not constant. They happen sometimes in a particular time, in a particular place, a miraculous event. So some are constant and some are occasional by nature. Now, what that means is you may not have the gift of healing that you can just like tap into anytime you want at will, but there may be occasions, there will be occasions when God gives someone this gift in a particular situation in order to do something extraordinary to help someone and to bring glory to his name. You know, I'm just thinking about myself and I can tell you this, that as a pastor, I've prayed for a lot of sick people over the years, and, and some of them have gotten better, and some of them have not. But I, I will tell you that there were two occasions that I can remember in particular where I prayed for somebody, and I actually saw something take place that was miraculous. And the, one of those occasions, I got to tell you, I was really surprised myself because, to be honest, I prayed a half-hearted prayer, and I did not have very, I had no expectation that anything was going to happen. It was kind of a formality, right, on my part. Uh, yeah, I'll pray for you, sure. And then God healed that person. I was like, whoa. God gives these gifts sometimes on special occasions when he wants to do something great. But of course, that takes our, our part in that too as well. So the next one is the gift of prophecy, the gift of prophecy. So the spiritual gift of prophecy is one that we should understand. It's not so much about predicting the future. Sometimes when we hear prophecy, we, we immediately think of predicting the future. But in the New Testament, the gift of prophecy isn't so much about predicting the future as it is communicating a message from God 
two people in a particular situation, right? A timely message from God's heart for people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, Paul tells us that the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So not predicting the future, but upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Everybody needs that. A prophetic word is a message from God that speaks into a particular situation. You know, every time, personally, when I prepare to speak in front of people or teach people from the word, I ask God to give me not only true words, but prophetic words. I don't just want to communicate true things. I absolutely do. So that's the starting point. I want to communicate true things, but I also want to have a word from God for people for this particular moment, to speak into that moment, and that God would speak to them through what I say. Now, you might ask, how do you know if someone claims that they have a prophetic message? How do you know if, if this person says, I have a word from the Lord, right? How do you know if it really is from God or if it's not, right? Maybe they're just making it up or maybe they're trying to like play it off to give more like credibility to what they're saying and say, oh, it's from God. How do you know if it is or not? Well, Paul actually addresses that question in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here's why. It seems that the Thessalonian Christians were frustrated by people who were going around and falsely claiming to have prophetic messages from the Lord. And so here's what Paul advised the Thessalonians to do. He said, listen, guys, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but, hold or, but test everything and hold fast to that which is good. So in other words, we don't want to put a damper on, on the work of the Holy Spirit by becoming jaded and cynical. But you know, uh, how do we know if a supposed prophetic message is really from God? Paul tells us, don't despise prophecy. Be open to the fact that God might speak and can communicate in this way, but test all things. First of all, how do we do that? We, we test all things primarily by testing them against the Word of God. If it's really from the Lord, it's, it's not going to be contrary to what God has already spoken. It will be in alignment with what God has already spoken and revealed through his word. You can also test things by asking for godly counsel. You can test things by praying. You can test things by waiting to see just how things develop and turn out. The purpose of the gift of prophecy is never to circumvent or replace the Bible. It's never to the neglect of the Bible or in place of the Bible. The purpose of the gift of prophecy is for God to give an inspired, timely word to his people, through his people, by the Holy Spirit. But it's never to the neglect of the Bible or to replace the Bible. And rather than just blindly accepting any supposed prophetic message as being from God, we are to test all things and hold fast to that which is true. It brings us to the next gift, which is the discerning of spirits, the discerning of spirits. Now, what is this? This is the ability to tell the difference between true and false doctrine, between what is from the Lord and what is not from the Lord. Let me, let me show you something. In, verse, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, look at what John says to his readers. He says, he tells them to test the spirits. And he tells them, why should they test the spirits? Because false prophets have gone out into the world. 
So test the spirits because false prophets are preaching false doctrine. In other words, the testing of the spirits, this is the ability to discern between true and false doctrine, between what is truly from the Lord and what is not from the Lord. That brings us to the next gift, which is the gift of tongues, both the ability to speak in tongues, in variety of tongues, which means different languages, and the ability to interpret tongues. Now, the gift of tongues is interesting, and here's why. Because it is the only gift which primarily benefits the person who uses the gift, not anybody else. Right? All of the other gifts, we're told, are for the common good, for the benefit of others. But this is the one gift, Paul tells us in chapter 14, verse 4, that the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, he tells us why and how that happens. He says, one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, does not speak to other people, but they speak to God. So God is the, the audience of the person who speaks in tongues, not other people. He says, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So this is a way of communicating with God in prayer in a way that supersedes the limitations of human language. You know, maybe there have been times when you have struggled to articulate how you are feeling or what you want to say. The idea here is that God gives some people this gift or ability to be able to pray in the Spirit in a way that circumvents the limitations of human language. That's something people often ask about this. They'll ask, are these like known, recognized human languages, right? Like, is this like, like Dutch or, or like Russian or something else like that? Well, in Acts chapter 2, we read that on the day of Pentecost, those who spoke in tongues, they were understood by people in human languages. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Paul talks about a way of crying out to God that is not in a known human language. And in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about speaking in the tongues of angels. So it would seem that in some cases, this is in a known, recognized human language, but in other cases, it is not. But the point is, either way, this is a tool by which a person communicates with God in a way that supersedes or goes beyond the limitations of natural linguistic abilities. And this is why Paul is going to tell us in chapter 14 that the primary purpose of the gift of tongues is not for church gatherings— but for individual use in private prayer life. Paul also mentions in verse 28, the other two gifts in this section, the gift of teaching and the gift of administration, which are important gifts for helping others and furthering the work of God in the world. That brings us to the final part of our sentence, which is this. The way we serve God and others is by using the gifts God gives us to fulfill the higher calling he has given us in Christ. So Paul concludes this section in verse 11 by saying this, All these are empowered by one in the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What this verse tells us is that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force, like gravity or something like that. The Holy Spirit is a person who apportions, who chooses, and who gives. It is a a person who has a will and a desire. And the reason for that is because the Holy Spirit is not merely a person, but the Holy Spirit is God. 
And since it is God who distributes the gifts according to his perfect will, according to his perfect knowledge, you know what that means for you and me? It means that we should value the gifts that God has given other people, but it also means this, that we should use the gifts that God has given us. We should use them. Because in Christ, God has given you a higher calling than just living for yourself. He has called you to know him and to help other people make their next step in relationship with him. This is why Paul told the Romans, he said this, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Friends, if God has given us gifts, let us use them. Like Paul told Timothy, his protege, he said, Timothy, stir up the gift of God that is within you. Fan it into flame. It's, it's there. Don't let it go dormant. Use it. Fan it into flame. And friends, I want to challenge you to do the same. Let us be those who use the gifts that God has given us. God has called you, and he will gift you so you can play a role in his work in the world. What an honor. What a privilege. The work of God is in every member mission. And in it, every member matters. You need the body of Christ, but the body of Christ also needs you. Now, you might ask this question. It's a common question. How do I know what my spiritual gifts are? How do I know? Well, here's what I would tell you. If you look at this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want you to ask yourself a question. Did Paul give them this list so that they could scour the list and try to figure out which spiritual gifts they have? No, that's not why Paul gave this. If you read it in context, what's the purpose of this list? The purpose of, God, of Paul giving them this list of spiritual gifts was not so they could try to figure out which gifts they had. It was so that they would grow in appreciation for the gifts that God had given other people. Now, sometimes, here's why I say that. I've seen people get so focused. They get like a little bit obsessed with trying to figure out what their spiritual gift is, right? They're taking spiritual gifts tests. They're doing all kinds of things, trying to figure out what's my spiritual gift. And then what happens is once they've got it nailed, this is my gift, they'll say, I can only serve in the area of my gifting. I can't serve outside of my gifting. So they'll be like, you know, we need somebody to take out the trash or to clean the, clean the bathroom. Sorry, I can't do that because my spiritual gift is prophecy. That's what I do. So if you need somebody to prophesy, here's my number. But if you need someone to clean the toilet or, or you take out the trash, you're going to have to find somebody with the spiritual gift of doing that because that's just not me. Sorry, I don't serve outside of my gifting. Listen, to be a follower of Jesus means being willing to serve just as Jesus was a servant. It means being, able to, being willing to serve wherever and whenever there's a need to serve the body of Christ and to further the mission of God, whatever that might be. The greatest ability in God's kingdom is availability. Being available and willing to serve wherever there's a need for the building up of the body of Christ and the furtherance of God's work in the world. You know, many times, here's the deal. If you want to know what your spiritual gifts are, they are the things which come supernaturally natural to you supernaturally natural to you. What God calls you to do, he will also empower you to do. And here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want anybody to like sit around waiting to figure out what their spiritual gift is. Sorry, can't serve yet. Still trying to figure out what my spiritual gift is. So I'm just going to do nothing until that happens. I'm waiting on the results from my spiritual gifts test before I can help out anywhere because I don't want to serve outside of my gifting. Listen, it is as you are walking in the Spirit, seeking to know God, seeking to please God, seeking 
God because your heart is full, because you've seen and experienced his love for you as you're stepping out in faith and in obedience to serve God and to serve others, that is when you will experience the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe in a way that is constant because it relates to a a, a service or an ongoing ministry that you will have in the church. Or maybe just in a way that's special for that moment, right? God gives you the gift that you need to face what is right in front of you. But listen, it's when you take your eyes off yourself. It's when you take your focus off yourself and fix your eyes on the Lord, walking in the Spirit, stepping out to serve Him and to serve others. That is when you will see the manifestation of the Spirit at work in your life to give you what you need to do for what He's called you to do. You know, it seems like whenever Jesus turned his back on the disciples. They kept having the same conversation. Do you ever notice that? Like Jesus is like, he, he walks out of the room for five minutes and comes back in, and what are they doing? They're talking about this one thing again. It's always the same thing. Whenever Jesus is out of the room, they immediately start talking about which one of them is the greatest. Who's the most awesome? Who's the best among them? And then Jesus comes in, and he's like, what were you guys talking about? And they're like, nothing. And he's like, I know what you were talking about. You're talking about the same thing you were talking about last time I, was, I left the room. It was this debate about which of them was the greatest, the most awesomest. That's kind of like the Corinthians, isn't it? Always competing amongst themselves over who's the greatest, trying to exalt themselves. And what Jesus constantly told his disciples when you would catch them having this conversation, he would say, guys, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. That's how it works in my kingdom. After all, Jesus explained, even he, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And one time when Jesus caught him having this conversation, he went on to say this. He said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to become like a child? To become like a child means to admit your weakness. It means to admit your inability. It means to admit that there are things that you cannot do for yourself. And to come to God humbling yourself like a child is to come to him trusting not in your own abilities, not in yourself, but trusting in his abilities to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That means trusting in his strength rather than your own. Friends, the message of the gospel is that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to do for you what you could not do for yourself, to live a perfect life without sin, to die a sacrificial death for your sins in your place, to rise again, defeating death and the devil, to make a way for you to have eternal life. And if you will humble yourself and come to him like a child, not trying to prove yourself, but admitting your weakness, trusting in his strength and in his love and what he has done for you in Christ Jesus, he will receive you. And you can know him as your father because if you put your trust in what Jesus did for you, you can become a child of God. And as a child of God, you know what happens? God brings you into his family and as part of his family, he welcomes you in. He calls you to join him in the family business, which is service, serving, to get involved in the work that he is doing in the world.
I want to encourage you today to stir up the gifts that God has given you and to use those gifts to serve God and to serve others. The way we serve God and others is by using the gifts God gives us to fulfill the higher calling he has given us in Christ. Would you please stand with me and let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.